the Gospel of Matthew. We will be reading from chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to follow along, this is found on page 3 of the New Testament. Listen now for a word from God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, Well, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands will they bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Now to this Jesus said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah, Fran, Marianne, and Bob, send your Holy Spirit to rest upon and move among us in this time, enlightening us to your wisdom, guiding us in your ways. Silence all voices but your own and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, my friends, welcome to the first Sunday in Lent. I don't know about you, but this one really snuck up on me this year. I don't know where it came from. I knew it was on my calendar. I had it written. I kept looking at it, and I still woke up Monday morning thinking, well, what am I going to do for Lent? <laughs> right? Like as a pastor, I should be prepared for this. I, uh, I like to do something every Lent, something a little bit different, that, uh, like a spiritual practice, right, that helps me connect to God. And um, so once I got out of my shame spiral of not having anything planned, uh, I realized that this failure to plan might actually be an invitation. I uh, realized that I might make a mental switch and see a faithful and loving and acceptable way of practicing Lent to just be. So I decided to deploy the spiritual practice of centering prayer. So, you know, once a day for a few moments, I will just sit and be still. I will be calm. I will be with God. I will be rooted and balanced and just present. I share this with all of you because this is like um, my own central argument, right? Like my central temptation. 
I feel like if I just work harder, if I just do a little bit more, then I will be better, the world will be better. I'm tempted to believe that if I'm not working or planning, then I'm being bad or unfaithful. I really think that if I had the power to turn stones into loaves of bread, right, I would not rest another day until world hunger was no more. I feel like I know that there are a lot of y'all who are with me in this. Ah, man. So I just think that we have an opportunity as we enter into Lent to think about those things about us, right, those insecurities or those temptations that have been kind of put on us by society or our own upbringings. We are invited to separate those from what is actually true about us, which is that our birthright, simply because we exist, is to be beautiful and worthy and loved children of God. And so during the season of Lent, we're invited to kind of strip away what is not of God, what gets in our way, in our relationship with God and one another and with ourselves. And we begin this story in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus himself is faced with the temptations of the world, those things which have been put on him and are expected of him. And we get to see right off the bat who this guy really is, right? What he's really about and what kind of path he will invite us to walk. But uh, before I get into those temptations, I do just have to give you a little bit of a, like just a word on this, okay? Because I always feel super disturbed when I read this text because of the way the Holy Spirit behaves, right? So uh, the Holy Spirit makes her big debut in this text just right before this uh, when Jesus is being baptized. Okay? The Holy Spirit comes down upon Jesus and this voice booming from the heavens say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then the very next act is the Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right? I'm kind of like... I just don't know if this is the kind of favor I'm looking to receive, right? Uh, Yeah. So in all seriousness, though, I think that this text can sometimes be super problematic. uh, And I would argue that it's actually not because of what's in this text, but because of how we've come to read it, particularly through the lens of the prosperity gospel, which asserts, it's a horrible theology, which asserts that wealth, is a sign of God's blessing, and illness, a sign of God's curse, that if we only have enough faith, we will be healed of any ailment. We, if we only have enough faith, we'll be wealthy beyond belief. This is certainly a sermon in and of itself, and it's not the sermon I have prepared for you today, but I just feel obligated to say that I do in no way believe that God puts us through suffering in order to test our faith. God does not subject us to suffering in order to test our faith. Now, you might have read this text and argue, well, pastor, uh, it says right here, right, that the Spirit sent Jesus out to be tested. So I would like to encourage us to read this text the way that we are invited to read uh, Abraham's story, particularly when Abraham asks Jesus or asks when God asks Abraham 
to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Biblical scholar Ellen Davis puts forth that this episode in Genesis reveals not a cruel God, heaven bent on torturing God's children and testing them, but a vulnerable God. A vulnerable God who is entering into a covenant with one faithful child so that God may bless every child that is born thereafter. So God tests Abraham, yes, because God needs to know that Abraham is with God. Likewise, God sends God's son to redeem the world, and it's important that God knows that Jesus really gets it, that he won't take this power which is given to him and use it to exploit creation, to exploit God's children, to exploit the power that God has given him. We are again invited to glimpse a vulnerable God, one who is willing to stake the redemption of the world on the faith of this one faithful son. And if it's going to work, God has to be sure. So no, God does not go around randomly and cruelly testing God's children. God tests just those few through whom God intends to bless the world. This big test, this first thing that Jesus must face after being baptized then, reveals to God that Jesus really gets it. And it then also serves as a narrative for us to understand the ways in which the values of the world which will be put on us are at odds with the values of the kingdom of heaven, which God is inviting us to live into. Now, without a robust exploration of the devil, we ain't got time to go into all of the many words that are used for Satan. There are three different words that the author uses for Satan in this. We can talk about that later if you want to. Now, without going into all of that, I want to suggest to you that the tempter, as described in this text, is the embodiment of the values of the world. The devil tempts Jesus to use the powers that have been given to him according to the ways of the world. But Jesus prevails and reveals to us an alternative path, one that leads from death to life, one that leads to God. As we embark on our Lenten journey, then, we are also invited to consider how we are tempted to follow and orient our lives around the values of the world instead of the values of the kingdom of heaven. And I would say that it's actually not that difficult to put ourselves into Jesus' shoes because we are bombarded with these temptations every single day. As I mentioned, my own temptation is to work, 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 and believe that i got to keep going and keep myself busy or I'm not being faithful. We are tempted to believe that if we have faith, if we work hard enough, then we'll be able to produce anything we need. We have been formed by the Protestant work ethic, right? Leading us to believe that our worthiness is found in our ability to produce, our ability to provide for ourselves, our ability to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, which, by the way, I don't know if y'all know this, but that phrase there uh, was first used to talk about the ridiculousness of 
trying of self-sufficiency, right? I mean, like, try to pick up yourself by your, like, it's literally impossible to grab your shoes and pull yourself up. Literally impossible. Uh, But we have turned this phrase into this high ideal, the American ideal, and it has cost us connection. It's cost us a belief in the goodness of community and an orientation toward one another, toward helping and relying upon one another. Jesus could have turned those stones into bread and created that which he needed right there in the moment, but that isn't the point. He was called to restore our sense of reliance on God and on one another. And so too shall we seek to consider the ways in which we're tempted by this worldly value. We're invited to repent, to turn away from our obsession with self-reliance, and toward a desire to live for and rely upon God and one another. Now, lest we distort this first temptation, we have the devil's second deceit. For when we learn to rely on God, to repent and turn towards God, we're tempted to believe that by doing so, everything in our lives will become perfect and worry-free. But we know this is simply not the case. Yes, our God loves us. Yes, our God seeks to protect us. Yes, our God is at work in our midst. But this does not mean that our God will prevent us from all harm or suffering. We are conditioned to believe that God is all-powerful. And according to the world, that means that God will rule by force and coercion. That God can just smite all evildoers and make the world instantly safe and secure and free from harm and suffering. But we know that this is not God's style. And yet this is difficult to accept. Especially when we have a front row seat to so much suffering in the world. It fills us with despair and confusion as we watch kings and presidents, leaders and Influencers use their power and their wealth to exploit vulnerable people as they use their offices to amass great wealth at the expense of many as they use their power to exploit the earth and all of her resources. And I feel like sometimes we are tempted to play by their rules, to seek to gain power and privilege and wealth so that we might beat them at their own game. But I pray that we never fall to that temptation because we worship an altogether different God who is ushering in an altogether different kind of kingdom and that kingdom has an altogether different set of rules. God chooses peace and nonviolence to end injustice and oppression. God chooses powerlessness in order to redeem an isolated and separated creation. God chooses to suffer so that God might put an end to suffering altogether. And as we wait for the fullness of these promises, we are invited to strip away those values of the world which prevent us from living into the kingdom of heaven. And on this first Sunday in Lent, we are invited to choose God and this path 
which leads from death to life. God invites us to resist those temptations, to turn away from isolation and self-sufficiency and lust for power. God invites us to turn toward God and community and healing and wholeness. And on this first Sunday in Lent, we are given the great gift of this table, which is a safe place to practice these values. We are invited to come to this table and trust that God will provide for our needs. We are invited to experience deep connection with God and with one another. We are invited to experience a taste of the kingdom that is coming, where all of God's children are made whole again. And so at this table, we are invited to shake off the values of the world and live into the values of the kingdom. My friends, I pray that this day and every day that it would be so for us. In the name of our triune God, who creates, sustains, and redeems us all. Amen.